and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Get your popcorn ready. It's game time, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a team that is known as Stoppers. Stoppers. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Every single play, go take it. Bring that juice. Let's go get it. Come on. Chicago's best Bears coverage. Go Bears. Go Bears. From NBC Sports Chicago. It's Adam Bowe. As much as coaches probably want to get players out there on the field, I think it's really, really smart to do this slowly. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. To go an entire season without an Eddie Goldman, I don't think is exactly ideal for the Chicago Bears. Now, here they are. The Adams. Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns with you. Training camp. It's odd, it's weird, but it has started. It is going on right now. Uh, Hal's Hall. Players are in the building, and this quarterback competition will be heating up if it hasn't already. Not really, but I'm looking forward to seeing this uh, eventually. And with us to talk today about the quarterbacks, because this is going to be a quarterback-heavy episode. Of course, Adam Johns, but also the fish man. What's up, guys? Kev, you could say something. You don't have to wait for me. I always like to defer to the Adams, you know. <laughs> uh, guys, in normal circumstances, as we record this, uh, we would already be like with, I think we'd be wrapping up our last practice before getting our first off day. This this is like the podcast where we praise the, the Fairfield Inn in our attempts to get Marriott sponsorships, but... Can't do that that this year, though. I I am still a valuable customer, I I believe, of the Marriott brand. Uh, yeah, we would be doing uh, first padded practices. Would probably be just about underway. Family Fest was this day a couple years ago. Um, uh, the the Hall of Fame game was actually I think around this time uh, back in 2018. So, yeah, it's weird. But as our uh, editor in chief John Greenberg alluded to, as strange as everything has been in the year 2020 at least the Bears still don't have a clue what to do at quarterback. So there's that one constant that we all can kind of gravitate to that that reminds us that some things we can still count down in life. Well, I think they have a couple clues this year. They just need to find out if those clues are going to work. That's but that's typically what's going on. Well, we do have a big quarterback episode for you today. Follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S. The Fishman, Kevin Fishbane, is at K Fishbane. And you guys uh, should be subscribed and reading them at The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns, where right now you can get 40% off. So if you're not subscribed, you should be ton of uh, great work up there already by these two, but also for all your sports, Blackhawks, big game over the weekend, guys. They pounded them. Playoff victory. Playoffs. Felt like a playoff game, at least for Jonathan Taze. I was a little late to get the TV on, and I flipped it on. I missed three goals. Yeah, when I checked in, it was already 4-1. to one. I was like, oh, okay. This is what August hockey's like. first time ever (laughs) okay okay then Uh, good for the Blackhawks but you can get tons of Blackhawks coverage and all kinds of coverage all the sports 
at theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns. 40% off right now. Sports are back, and uh, the athletics coverage is as good as it's been, better than ever, so make sure you subscribe there. You can read me at NBCSportsChicago.com. Some 10 Bears things up there, guys. A lot of it based off our conversation with Ryan Pace, which I should mention. If you missed that, you should go back and listen to it as Adam Johns and I got to talk to the Bears general manager, our annual sit-down with the GM, uh, this time over Zoom, with proper social distancing in place. Um, But honestly, I think that was to me, my favorite conversation we've had with them. It's one of those things where I went back and listened to it, Johnsy, and I was like, whoa, there's actually a good amount of stuff in there. It was yeah. interesting. We, we covered a lot of topics. Uh, usually, well, it, it's just different. Usually we do it in person at camp, and you know he's busy when he's at Bourbon A or, or busy when he's in New England. Not to say that he's not busy now, but obviously the logistics are a bit different for everybody in this pandemic. Yeah. Did so you he, guys have uh, his video up? We did. Yeah. How was his hair? Uh, he was wearing a hat. He was wearing a hat. Interesting, because I know you guys recorded that a, bit, a little bit later at night, and I was wondering, like, mm-hmm. you could have caught him at the you know few moments during the day or night that his hair is not immaculate. That's so, probably why he was wearing a hat. There yeah, you go. yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't have the, the the product in it. So we did. Uh, my my friend Adam Hogue here did take some screenshots, but I've gotten self conscious about how I look over Zoom, and I could not find a single shot worth sharing as I, as, as I try to work with different camera angles here. Of yourself? Of myself. Time to hit that Peloton again. Well, yeah, here. Step one, take a shower, okay? And then step two, put a little bit of product in your hair. See, step two is, I, I will say, and you guys can see me now, so, you know, I have probably put product in my hair maybe three times in the last 20 weeks. Did it, like, okay. make your I've just, hair just vanish? Well, it's just, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of hair I've got to work with, but what I do have to work with, I will normally put some product in, but I just, that, that's been, a, you know, that's been a victim of quarantine. I just, it's, you know, I haven't, uh, haven't needed to do it, haven't wanted to. And this has been the style segment of the Hogan Johns podcast that I know all of our listeners come uh, for. <laughs> yes, and they're yes. very excited. And they've just fast forwarded. Yes. They've already clicked out and they're hopefully listening to the Ryan Pace episode if you missed it. Um, all right. No, we got a ton here. You're not going to want to click out of this. This is actually a really interesting conversation we had. Uh, we're talking about the great content that The Athletic has, and a part of that is Mike Sando. Mike Sando has been covering the NFL for a long time, um, and he's been doing these what he calls the quarterback tiers for, what do you say, guys, seven years now, I think? This is his been. seventh year. So uh, the, the way it works is he. this is not just like based on his opinions. He is soliciting – general managers, talent evaluators, coaches uh, across the league. He gets a certain amount of them. Essentially, you know, th- th- does a ballot where the, the, the these evaluators put the quarterbacks uh, into the tiers that have been defined by Mike Sando. And um, there's f- four tiers, you know, your tier one, the ridiculous guys like Patrick Mahomes that are basically near perfect. Then you got the guys that uh, you you can usually rely on to to win you games, and you got the guys that you can win with, and then you got the guys near the bottom that are essentially hardly starters, maybe not starters. Um, and then the reason why 
it was important that we thought to talk to Mike Sando about all this is because uh, Nick Foles came in just barely at the end of Tier 3 and Mitch Trubisky squarely in Tier 4. So based on that, this quarterback competition that we're all excited about and can't wait to uh, see a little bit of and, and relay all this to you over the next month or so, uh, there's not a whole lot of optimism around the NFL that uh, the Bears have a great quarterback right now on the roster. So, that being said, Mike Sando, we had a chance to talk to him uh, for a long time. Lengthy chat. I really do think that you guys will find this very, very interesting, though, uh, as we, we discuss the quarterbacks around the league, as well as Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky. So, here, here he is, Mike Sando from The Athletic. Thanks for jumping on with us. It's good to be here. Some markets, it's easier than others to do this, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> what are you saying about this market? <laughs> no, I, you know, the, the teams are so invested in, the, of course, their own success and their quarterbacks, and when you've gone big for quarterbacks and it doesn't work out, it's a, it is a hard situation for everybody to, to fight through. It's, it's easy to um, be critical. It's hard to find a good quarterback, you know, and even the best of them, miss <laughs> i live in seattle area they got russell wilson but before that they had charlie whitehurst and matt flynn you know so and they they paid him <laughs> you know so it's a tough game the reporter in me the the colleague in me wants to ask you about, about the process quickly like mm. like how long does this take in the the interviews and going through these interviews and following up in interviews can you just take us through the process of finalizing the, the, this monster yeah, so I have a lot of conversations with people year-round, but it really kicks into gear for me once we know who the starters are for every team. So it's a little bit kind of, uh, you know, maybe going into the draft or after the draft. You know, by then we really know, okay, um, you know, each team starter is easily identifiable, right? Once we have the veteran starters, then I can start working on it, and it'll all sort of chip away for a while. Um, and then, uh, you know, probably – a good two months are pretty hardcore, you know, where I'm doing something every day, you know, where I'm trying to get as many as I can. And then I might get three today and I might get three conversations with people. I might get none the next day and I might get four the next day, you know, just depending what my workflow is. But uh, it's pretty constant for, uh, you know, a couple months. And then on top of that, maybe another month of lead up where you're doing some, but you're not really feeling the pressure of the deadline, you know? Hey, Mike, you had a, an interesting anecdote in your follow-up to the quarterback tiers about Deshaun Watson um, yeah. and, and talking to a coach who kind of changed his mind a little bit. Can you kind of tell us about how that came to be and maybe what it tells you about the way some of these guys view quarterbacks around the league? Oh, uh, sure. Well, yes. In, you know, some of these guys are, if you're a general manager or you're a, you know, a per, pro personnel director, you've watched all the quarterbacks, you know, that's your job. Um, but I also, and I talked to a lot of those guys, but I also talked to uh, defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators, or even some quarterback coaches, or you might get a secondary coach. Um, and in some of those cases, if they haven't seen a guy um, recently, um, they may not have as, as from a grasp. So on someone like Deshaun Watson, even those guys who really haven't, aren't dialed in and haven't played him and watched him, they have enough of a centuries. They're going to give them a two or a one, you know, and I late in the process, you know, I, I had a guy, uh, here's Deshaun sitting on my board for lack of a better word. And it's real clean. He's, he's fifth 
and no one in probably the top six has any votes in the third tier. Third tier is kind of like, you know, a legitimate starting quarterback, but we're not really featuring him. You know, it's, it's Andy Dalton, it's Kirk Cousins. They're, they can have a Pro Bowl year, but they're not really the drive and carrying the team. And so this guy put Deshaun in the third tier, and I was like, I don't argue with people. You know, I like to get a real – just – I don't steer the votes, but I was like – it was somebody I know pretty well. And I was like uh, – some of them are harder graders than others, too. And I, I was just like, hey, you know, you are the only three here. You, you got to – you got to bring it, you know, you got to really have some good stuff here. And I was kind of busting his chops a little bit. And um, so we talked, whatever finished up. And, and he said, Hey, I will look at, uh, you know, we didn't plan this last year. I could be outdated. I think I, I questioned his ability to really um, put it on his shoulders from a passing standpoint. I know he breaks containment and, and makes some great throws, but uh, there is a pure pass element to being in, you know, to being near the top where we're behind and we have to throw you back into the game. And, I, and he did that to some extent last year against Buffalo. But anyway, the coach decided, agreed uh, he'd get back to me. And he ended up watching like 500 pass plays from him last year. He went from being probably one of the least, uh, you know, the, one of the least familiar or least having studied uh, Trubisky or, or, I mean, Watson to having really watched him at a granular level. And then we got back and did a Zoom call and uh, – he took me through a bunch of plays and he was like, Hey, here's why I'm not going to a one, but here's why he belongs to be in a two. And so uh, I love that element of it, that people are willing to do the work, you know, and I think most of them have, but there's always blind spots. You don't always see everybody. Right. Exactly. And you know what, Mike, I will obviously get into the bears stuff here, but I, I did want to ask about Watson. So since we're on that topic, yeah. I, I was surprised to see him in tier one though already. And it was kind of split between tier one and tier two, but ultimately that's where he ended up. And just so our, our listeners and they obviously should go read the whole thing, but the definition of tier one is that he can carry his team each week. The team wins because of him. He expertly handles pure passing situations and he has no real holes in his game. I mean, I think overall a lot of that applies to Watson, but I still don't know that he's done it consistently enough for me to want to put him in tier one already. Yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise to me too. And, and you know, I wouldn't make a huge, I'm not like, you know, mad about it or anything. I mean, I think you can make the case that he's a one because, uh, you know, that team is not a great team. It's not a well-run organization. I don't think most people feel like with no GM and, and the, some of the moves they've made, that they've made it easier for him. I think it's true that if he wasn't there, they wouldn't be a playoff team. Now they were before he was there. O'Brien did go to the playoffs a number of years with some run-of-the-mill quarterbacks, but they were great on defense. Um, so I think what happened a little bit with him is the perception that he's holding this whole thing together, right? That there's not this well-oiled machine of an organization or even a team. And then, you know, the last impressions matter a little bit, and they're down 16 nothing to a really good uh, Buffalo team defense in the playoffs. And he wills them back to win the game. It wasn't always pretty, but he did that on a national stage in a game that everybody saw. And I think that that helped him as opposed to, let's just say, uh, you know, it was just a more run-of-the-mill game against Buffalo. You know, I wonder if that would have affected it and maybe then he would have been at the top of Tier 2, you know. He's right there, I think, bottom one, top of two. I probably would agree maybe he's top of two. What I always enjoy about your your piece here, Mike, and I, and I think you helped explain it with the 
the Deshaun Watson story there is you always seem to have like a wide range of opinions sometimes. You know, sometimes there's like a consensus on a guy like a Patrick Mahomes, but even like an Aaron Rodgers, there seem to be some guys breaking from the pack a little bit. And sometimes it's like you mentioned, maybe it's their youth or the the, the side of the ball that they coach on or, or you know, what, what their job is for a certain organization. I, I'm curious, are you ever surprised by the range of opinions? I mean, that's what you want, I know, yeah. but like on a certain player, you know, or on a single quarterback, how uh, different they can be on one guy. Yeah, sometimes when there's an extreme, yes, you're like, uh, and in the case of the Watson one, I'm like, what do you, you know, I, I actually challenged him, you know, and we had a conversation, but uh, yeah, you, you do that. I talk to a really diverse group of people, you know, from, um, you know, head coaches to general managers to personnel directors to coordinators to secondary coaches. So, in sometimes um, you know what to expect based on what their background is, you know, and so you you might actually, um, you know, after a guy does three or four or five quarterbacks as we're going through them, then I can kind of see where he's coming from, and I can almost sometimes predict how he's going to view other people. Right? It's a little bit of a lens. That's I I work to make sure that. I include that diversity of opinion in the item, even if it is 46 out of 50 people putting Rogers in there uh, in the top tier, I still like to have the reasons why you wouldn't, you know, I think that's interesting to people. And so um, I don't know if surprise is the right word after doing it seven uh, years, but it's my favorite part of it. You know, I think that's, that's what makes this fun is to be like, wait a minute. I thought this, everyone thought this guy was good, you know? Like Hi, Brady Mike. this year. People like Brady and respect Brady. He's the top of tier two. But I, I sort of emphasize the que- ones questioning him because we've all heard how great he is. <laughs> all right, Mike. Let's let's get into the Bears. Let's get yeah. into uh, – you had Nick Foles. He was the, the, the quarterback tier. He was in the near the bo- – he was the bottom, I believe, of tier three, 26. Mitch Trubisky was 32nd in tier four. Um, and before we get into them individually, I'm curious from um, – kind of looking at the Bears as a team, what the sense might be from GMs, personnel guys, coordinators, to look at the situation the Bears have. Because some of the guys you have ranked in Tier 4 are second-year guys, you know, Drew Locke. Um, you have, uh, you know, guys like Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen. So I imagine those teams, they're, they're still hopeful, those guys on rookie deals. But if you look at your tiers and you look at how the two Bears – quarterbacks where they are in their careers how much money is being dedicated to them how would that kind of factor in the way you think the league looks at the situation that Chicago has oh yeah I think that does factor in so if you look at the fourth tier there's two ways you can get into the fourth tier as you alluded to one is hey we've seen you and we don't like it we've seen you for a number of years and so in that category is kind of you know Mariota's played a lot Ryan Fitzpatrick's played a lot uh Trubisky's played you know enough that I think people want are saying you're a four and then you can also be in the, in the fourth tier like Drew Locke hey we haven't seen enough I'm just going to put you in the fours and we'll revisit next year here's some thoughts on the guy um I think that's for sure um how what it is for Locke or um Dwayne Haskins for example there are guys in there so it's a little bit more troubling when you've played, you know, a few seasons and we have eight people putting you in the, in the fifth tier, which no one even gets a a five, a five is like the year Matt Castle was supposed to start for Buffalo. And then it's Tyrod Taylor when the season starts, that sort of thing. So I think the people that are putting Trubisky as a five are anticipating Foles may start, you know, to, to start the whole, the year at the beginning, as opposed to coming off the bench. Mike, I'm just curious 
because it gets glossed over a lot here, even in Chicago, as we discuss Trubisky all the time. But I feel like a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that he was playing hurt last year. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously the Bears don't think that's a good enough excuse because they went out and got Nick Foles. So that, that still tells you something. But I'm just curious in all the conversations you had as you're doing this on Trubisky, did anyone bring that up, that, that he was hurt? I don't think so. You know, I don't think so. I think people, I think there was a number of people that saw him have some success his first year and weren't buying it because they knew the context that it was in and they, they didn't think that it was him leading the team. I mean, it was clearly a team with a great defense and they made it easier for him on offense. Uh, and then you have the bad second year that sort of affirms the people who weren't all on board. Right. And then you have a, a disappointing year after that. And now everyone's convinced. And so he's probably skewing, more negative than he deserves. You know, that's why I included comment from people who had him, 10 people put him in a third tier as a legitimate starter. And I think that's, uh, you know, I might put him as a four myself if I were doing it, but I like the fact that at least 10 people put him in the three because they did show they could. This is actually one of my guys. Hold on, let me turn off my phone. We can edit that part out. You can put him on with us and we can challenge yeah. him. Yeah. Trubisky. Yeah, so I think when you put him in the third tier, you're acknowledging that, hey, they had some success with him as a team in, in his rookie year. And, yeah, it wasn't all him. They had a lot of other stuff going on that was positive. But he at least showed he could be a legitimate starter. So I think um, that's what you're probably saying by, by at least, in fairness, referencing the injury is, hey, it hasn't been all absolute horrendousness. You know, I think the concern is, you know, people just haven't necessarily seen um, where he's improving, right? And that includes maybe on the mental side of the game, too. It's not like he's – there's no real area that he wows you in, right? I, I think with most of the guys, especially if you're taken, you know, early in the draft, there's something that you're really excited about, right? I mean, even if we were quibbling with Deshaun Watson, I mean, we can see how the team rallies around him or um, how when things go wrong, he can just make something out of it, right? He didn't kicked in the head or remember that play. <laughs> There's signature plays and moments where you go, wow, this guy is special, right? And I think with Mitch, you're just sort of hoping that uh, he doesn't fall off the bike, you know, as opposed to Watson sometimes jumps over a canyon, you know? And when you haven't seen those moments, then you don't think they're going to suddenly start happening, right? I mean, what would you say are his five most impressive things he's done? Well, I, I think there are maybe one throw that stands out to me. It's that, that Washington game. And yeah. it, there is also – I had him hook and I had uh, an angry debate about that game because it was his best game early on in the season. He made some outstanding throws, but there was some um, – there was the bad interception in the red zone. It just seems every good comes with a really, really ugly bad. Uh, well, with but quickly on that, I, I do consider the fourth quarter of the playoff game against the Eagles probably his shining moment. And unfortunately, it got washed away by Cody Parkey missing the kick. And no one talks about what Trubisky did in that fourth quarter. Um, but... To your point, though, Mike, you're right. It's a limited, it's a limited list of things that where he's wowed you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think. Was that game? I think I wrote a column off of that game, the uh, Washington game. Was that the Monday night game in yes. 2019? Yes. And people were there was some debate because I believe Ryan Clark, the ESPN analyst, um, you know, basically after that game suggested he could become another Ryan Lee for Jamarcus Russell, and people yes. who were looking at the stat sheet 
the guy completes 80% of his passes, throws for 230 yards, three touchdowns. It would have been one of those amazing, you know, probably one of his best statistical games. And I think uh, there's nuance within that of how you do that uh, and how your stats are generated. And I think that we're getting to that a little bit with Mitch Trubisky in that um, you can point to a, a certainly a drives or a quarter, um, but I don't think you see the, uh, you know, the wow plays or the string of, games or or you know drives where he really put it on his back and the team then feeds off of that right the offense and defense all feed off that guy I think it's more of a feeling of hoping he does well as opposed to getting on the train you know yeah he had a couple games last year the Cowboys stands out to me he's always good against the Lions um, like he, he has spurts of looking good and then comes a lot of ugliness. So I guess my next question for you, Mike, is in your experience doing this, is this just what the league thinks he is and, and will be? Like, like how concrete do you think that opinion is? And what do you think it'll, it'll take to change, like to, to move up the tiers? Like what type of performance? Like what's the biggest jump you've seen, especially with the guy – who's in Trubisky's position to, to move up a, a tier or two in your history of doing this? Yeah. Um, I don't know that anyone has come from after three years being your average tier votes, almost a four after three years of starting basically. And then suddenly he's a two. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, Dak Prescott, I think was widely perceived as a three and has moved into the two, but I think he was always pretty, Good, you know. I mean, he he didn't have people weren't just ever writing him off. Um, you know, most of the big jumps are made by somebody who comes in as a four because they had a partial season as a starter, and then they're the MVP like Lamar Jackson, right? Um, I I think that Trubisky reminds me more of like Mariota and Winston have been were better earlier, but they eventually you just sort of are what you are now maybe maybe an example it's a more severe injury but you know ryan Tannehill um came in and and he was okay you know i, I think he was never he was never probably this low but he's had six years of being in the third tier um, and probably low three some of those times and then gets in the right situation it's only a half of a season we need to see it but um you know by the end of last year, they were paying him a lot of money. He might not have seen that coming at a certain point. I think he showed more probably than Trubisky um, early in his career, but that might be an example of somebody who's now has more hope after almost being left for dead a little bit, right? With the injury and just couldn't stay on the field and, and kind of a bad situation in Miami. Um, probably, probably a, you know, a tougher situation in the end than it is in Chicago. Hey Mike, with, uh, with Nick Foles, you had a quote from a personnel director who said, uh, you can win with him, but everything has to be right, and you have to play his type of offense. And, and I think it's interesting the, where Foles was ranked relative to maybe what the Bears think Foles could eventually be, because um, obviously he's getting, making a lot of money. You trade for him. You saw what Jacksonville did for him last year. Um, I just think he's such an interesting case study around the NFL because there's not many quarterbacks with resumes like his where he yeah. really hasn't been a full-time starter very much, but when he's had to step in, he's been really good in relief. Um, how did you kind of, What were some of the other things you got on Foles, and how did you kind of assess the way he's looked at compared to a, a normal, regular, maybe Tier 3 starter? 
Yeah, he he's seen as uh, as just a great relief pitcher, and I think that's etched into people's mind from the Philly run. I don't know if it's fair to just call him that, but uh, you would say in most of the cases since his really good year with Chip Kelly, the 27 touchdown, two interception year, um, when he's been asked to go longer than that or been seen as quote unquote the guy um, hasn't worked out for whatever reason. It's probably a little unfair to hold that against him last year when he's thrown a touchdown pass and gets his collarbone broken. That probably could have happened to uh, to anybody. But um, you mentioned that you know they have the Bears have higher um, opinion of him, and I think I think that's very specific to the Bears because uh, he has ties to them. You know, I mean, I would have more hope of him doing well with the Bears than I would in another situation because he's at least with some of the coaches uh, that were there in the past. And when you talk about playing it, you know, his style of offense, I think people felt like when he came in for Carson Wentz, they did do maybe some of the more of the Chip Kelly type stuff, you know, that, that um, he had done well with before early in his career. So, you know, kind of fingers crossed, but maybe, maybe if you had to pick one team in the league that's able to try to replicate that and knows how to get the best from them, it might be, other than Philly, it might be Chicago, right? I mean, because of Matt Nagy being there and, and so forth. So um, people do not feel like he's the answer for a long term or for even for a whole season, but think he could be a nice kind of change up from Trubisky if, if they play Mitch early and, you know, end up going to Foles, which I think most people think Foles is playing one way or another. Well, he does a lot of things that Mitch has struggled with, you know, making the right reads on read options and uh, reading a defense just to the point where you need to facilitate and make the right throw, not the wow throw. Uh, and so I think that's part of the reason why it makes a lot of sense in Chicago. But I wanted to ask you this because another thing you had in here on Foles, uh, in fairness to Foles, he has performed pretty well in good situations, Philadelphia, and struggled in bad situations, Jacksonville and St. Louis. So my question to you, and I like asking uh, and more of a national guy this type of question how are the bears viewed are they a good situation or a bad situation right now like how are they viewed nationally yeah i think they're a better they're a good situation for Foles for the reasons we talked about with the connections i don't think it's seen as a bad situation the way uh, those bad situations were i mean those were places that uh, i mean we forget it wasn't like the bears were three and 13 last year you know i mean they, they've been uh you know a uh, competitive team so I don't think anyone's seeing the Bears as that situation it's a bad situation to the extent that you're you know invested in and hoping for Foles or for Trubisky I think people feel like that's a, a losing bet at this point and so um, for Foles though it could be a good situation I mean I think they're still going to be pretty good on defense they've you know do have some weapons on offense and they have a coach who's familiar with them and I think you know one thing about Foles is it seems like where he goes um, you know the the team responds well to him. I think that's part of the quarterback position. That's hard for, it's really hard for the quarterback like Mitch Trubisky who comes in uh, into a major market and um, has the, the burden of expectation with being compared to guys who just happen to maybe be hall of famers that were in his draft class. Um, and then doesn't necessarily have that easy way about him. You know, hasn't had that success and you've got some, Big star players on the team, Khalil Mack. It's a real. There's some real players on the team, and it's hard to fool the team that you're a real player as a quarterback. When the only reason he's there is because they drafted him and invested a lot of him. He wouldn't be there still if he was making minimum salary when he came in. He wouldn't be their quarterback. Everybody knows that. Um, you know what I mean? There, you, you've invested so much in him that you have to see this through. Yeah. 
Anyhow, one more chance. Yeah, one more yeah, chance. One more chance. And so you keep getting that. The whole team knows that. Mitch knows it. And Mitch knows the team knows it. That's a hard thing. You know, I think Foles comes in. Hey, get that Super Bowl ring. Hey, guys, fellas, let's go. Let's go play. And I think it's a, whew, you know, isn't it sort of a, everyone relaxes probably. Yeah. And the coaches already like me, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's a good, I think it's a better situation for Foles for sure. I mean, the bar's low. You know what I mean? There's not the big expectation. And yet the ceiling, the floor's probably fairly high. It's not, I don't think they're going to be a horrific team, you know, like some of those other places we talked about where you fools with the Rams. I mean, look, Jared Goff with that Rams team looked like he couldn't play. And he went to a Super Bowl after that, right? So the Bears aren't that. So the bar being low, <laughs> so this is your, your seventh year. You said seventh year doing this, right? The, the yep. quarterback tier. So we're going back to, I'm trying to remember the Bears quarterbacks. Mike Glennon would be I here. I got them all in order here. I can tell you what their tier votes were. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> go through it. Let's, let's, okay. Let's. So, so just to give people context. Um, so Trubisky this year, um, his average tier vote was 3.96. So that, that puts you in the fourth tier. So 2014, Jay Cutler is a 2.6. He's in the third tier. Okay, and, and every year it's been tier three or four. Cut the next year slips a little bit. 2015, 3.1. He's still tier three. He's 2.95 the next year. So there's three years of Cutler where he's kind of between about a 2.6 and a 3.1. He's always in the third tier. Then we go to the Mike Glennon year, and he's about where Mitch is now. He's a 3.86. Mitch is a 3.96, right? So people feeling somewhat similar maybe in Glennon to Trubisky. Trubisky comes in his first year, he's three and a half, basically a 3.5. He rises to about a 3.1, comes back down to closer to a four. Foles is sitting there at 3.4. So they've, you know, if you if you look at the best year, it's the first year I did this, and that's Cutler in 2014. Um, I remember when people loved to hate Jay Cutler, right? Yes. That, that'd be the Mark Tressman era, Jay Cutler, yeah. correct? Second year of Mark Tressman. Yep, 2014. So if you average them all together, it's about you know it's about a 3.3, and that's not horrific. But you're usually, if you're in that range for too long, you're probably looking for you know you're looking for another guy. You don't feel like we've solved it, you know. By the way, Mike, a low bar is the title of the Bears book about quarterbacks in this town. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, they've been such a team with a defensive mentality. You know, I think different franchises have those mentalities, and it seems to just be almost self-fulfilling, right? It's almost how they build their team. Uh, but that said, I think one of the things that was pointed out in the tears piece was it wasn't like people didn't think that Trubisky had a first-round skill set. You know what I mean? It wasn't like the week after the draft, everyone was saying this guy's going to be a bust. There, we knew there was risks, but that's the nature of picking quarterbacks. It's, it's the nature of drafting. Ron Wolf never drafted a, with the Packers a first-round player who went to the Pro Bowl. Isn't that amazing? He's a Hall of Fame GM. It's hard stuff. So we can all laugh at, at the Bears for, oh, you got Trubisky. And I, look, I would have taken Deshaun Watson. But it wasn't like it was, this is just what happens. You know, it, it happens with most teams. The greatest quarterback, Tom Brady, was an accident. Russell Wilson was a third-round pick. You know what I mean? Aaron Rodgers fell to number 24. Aaron Rodgers fell. So we can all act like everyone's an idiot for getting Trubisky, but, you know. 
It's just, uh, you just hope you'd hit the lottery once with one of these tickets in Chicago. And then, man, then you have that defense and you're winning the championship, you know? Instead of the way it's been, they've had to have the greatest defense ever to win it. <laughs> Mike, did I, I mean, I'm sure Trubisky's not in the Lamar Jackson category of the guy who's going to make the big leap. But around the league, you know, Kyler Murray was, you kind of mentioned you were a little surprised how, how high he was ranked. Are there, who are some of the guys that could, those, some of those young players who could make that kind of jump in your tiers maybe between this yeah. year and next year? Okay, I'll start from the lower part. So out of tier four, Tier four, it sort of becomes a function of, hey, the less we've seen of you, the more we could imagine you being good, right? It's like, uh, so Drew Locke's in that category as somebody who, you know, had a nice finish, uh, looked like he had had something, and, hey, we want to see a little bit more, right? Um, I didn't sense as much excitement for Dwayne Haskins. Is that the situation? Is that what people thought of him coming out of the draft? Um, so out of that tier, it's probably Locke. Out of the third tier, um, it was interesting at the very bottom, right above Nick Foles, I thought there was more excitement than I was anticipating for Daniel Jones. I thought it was consistently positive, want to see more, even though he is low, he's sort of low. He got 20 tier four votes kind of because, hey, you didn't start a whole year. We want to see more. I'm not going to say, but I liked what I saw. I, I thought people liked him more than Arnold. Josh Allen was a little higher than I thought, but I don't think people are perceiving he's going to rock it up. Maybe he can get into the second tier, but it was a little more optimistic on him than I was expecting. That's probably it until we get to the top of the third tier with with Kyler Murray. Wentz is an interesting one to me. Like He was a little higher than I thought he might be. He came in one spot above Prescott. He got five tier ones and 10 tier threes. Like what, What's that about? I think it's people seeing the flashes and seeing like, oh, wasn't he almost like an MVP that year? When he looks good, it's really good. But why doesn't it look like that more? He may be somebody that you could see rising. Those are probably the guys who aren't already in the top 10, you know? Yeah, Wentz was one of those that I was surprised too that actually five people would put him in tier one, which is basically yeah. saying he's a perfect quarterback. And I like Carson Wentz, but he's not. Yeah. He's not. Yeah, I know. That's why I talk to 50 people. If I talk to 10, you never know. <laughs> he might be the number one overall guy. And you're like, what just happened? But uh, yeah. we, get a good, we get a good mix and it's always fun. It's interesting. Like if you go through and like I have a table stacked where I can see like the lowest ranked guy who got a one, you know what I mean? So it's interesting. The top 14 guys in the survey got at least one, one. And then after that, no one does. So it really does sort of follow this trend line where people agree, even if there are a few outliers who think Carson Wentz is a one. Well, it's outstanding work, Mike. Uh, love seeing this piece every single year and appreciate the time for you to jump on with us and explain all this and yeah. uh, especially the bear stuff. It's going to be fascinating. I, I'm anxious to see what happens, and maybe Foles proves that he should be higher than he is. Maybe Trubisky. Maybe. Wouldn't that be something, man? Wouldn't that be yeah. something? Yes. He yes. can't be worse than people are thinking of him. You know what I mean? He, he, I think he's better than that, so we'll see. Wow, it's good to hear someone else say that because that's kind of how we tend to think, too. Yeah. Not that he's going to be great, but he, yeah. it seems a little unfair. And that was actually even reflected by, I think, a GM that you quoted in the piece, too. Yeah, I try to balance it out. Sometimes I end up feeling bad. I'm like, oh, you know, that was a little bit of a harsh quote. But I try to balance it out, you know, and, and just there, there is a range of opinion. It's trending negative for Mitch, as we know. But, may, hey, we'll see. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks okay. so much, Mike. We'll see you. All right, guys. Uh, pretty interesting conversation there with Sando. And we're going to hear a little bit from Trubisky and Foles uh, coming up momentarily. They did speak to the media contingent on Friday. Um, our first time we've had, to, really, second time we've talked to Nick Foles at all 
and um, just with the lack of availability this offseason, it's good to catch up with these guys. So we will play some of that here momentarily. But just your general takeaways from our conversation with Mike, because I think it's it's not just interesting to see where these guys end up. It's just interesting to me to see the variation of opinions from across the league. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you try to find fairness in them. I think Mike really emphasized that because you'll get that really great soundbite where the guy's just ripping a quarterback to shreds. But you want to be fair, you know, because sometimes there's biases uh, from the past in there, you know, like maybe the guy didn't have a high enough draft grade on him or, or maybe some rival team or like the, the, the explanation he had with Watson's story. Sometimes these evaluators don't see enough of these guys and need to be reminded to go back to look at these guys. So it is good to hear about his process. It is alarming, I guess, if you're a Bears fan. I think that's a good way to put it because you got number 26 and then number 32 on that list. I don't know if you – first of all, I don't think you want two quarterbacks on that list. That's not a good thing to start with anyway. Yeah, you know, I think the easy thing that we both looked at was where the Bears were, were located. But if you looked at both Foles and Trubisky, one of the things that we talked about all offseason, there are still people around the league – that value Trubisky's physical talents. A lot of people in the league had very high draft grades on him, um, and but have seen kind of the way he his career has gone. And there's a lot of people that you know have seen what Foles can do it if surrounded by the right offense and the right players. So it was it, it's always good to see that from the guys who are running defenses, running some of these teams. So it's like on the one hand, I'm like wow, this is a terrible quarterback situation the Bears have, and then you're like, well. There are these little glimmers. It's like that's what why the Bears are believing in these two is you can see it from some of the things that from uh, people from the other teams. I also think it's not important. It's it's important not to like overreact just because Trubisky's in, in tier four. Like, let's be honest: is is Josh Allen significantly better than Mitch Trubisky? No. Is Teddy Bridgewater significantly better than Mitch Trubisky? No. Is Nick Foles significantly better than Mitch Trubisky? The, the answer is no. I think it goes back again to like the, the confirmation bias. I think some people didn't like him before, so I think those criticisms are emboldened now that he after that lackluster 2019 season that that he had. Uh, I think people want to see him fail at this point, just because of that. Uh, maybe previous draft grades they had on him in the past, but yeah, I, I don't know if any. And Mike kind of hinted at this too at, at the end. Like, is he that bad? Probably not. He's not that far off from a Nick Foles, a Bridgewater, you know, maybe even a Tannehill in terms of evaluations. Well, highly encourage our listeners to go check out the quarterback tiers if you haven't had a chance to read it yet. It is up on the Athletic. Um, uh, what's the best way to find it, guys? Just go to the Bears tab. Yeah, it's on the Bears page. It's on the NFL page. You can even search for for Mike Sandel himself. So. If you enjoyed that conversation and you're not a subscriber yet, check it out. It's a, a comprehensive piece. 50 NFL evaluators. We're talking about head coaches, personnel directors, scouting directors, coordinators, position coaches, negotiators. They were all pulled in this. Definitely check out Sandals' work. So it at least shows you what the NFL feels about the Bears quarterbacks overall. The Bears, of course, feel like they have guys that they can win a lot of games with this year, whether that's because they rely on their defense or because 
They feel like they have enough pieces around the quarterbacks and the quarterbacks just need to not make mistakes. Whatever it is, uh, they obviously feel like with Foles and Trubisky, they can win. So that brings us to this quarterback competition. We heard from Ryan Pace in our last episode that uh, those guys were in the building, that they had already been out on the field with some walkthroughs with the rookies. Uh, At this point now as we're recording this, the veterans have shown up. And again, they, they're all in strength and conditioning mode for a week or so before they get out on the field um, for what will be light practices, and then eventually the pads will go on August 17th. But hearing from Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles on Friday, where do you really want to start with Mitch first and some of the uh, things he did this offseason? Yeah, yeah, maybe we start by playing that audio. I think some people were interested Kind of wondering, like, why? What? What? What's taking so long? So, maybe let's hear from Mitch first. Questions from myself and, and, and the fish man, and then let's let's get into it. All right. So here's Mitch Trubisky on his training this off season and some of the things he did to uh, work on his mechanics. Yeah, it was a interesting off season. Just, I mean, with COVID and everything else going on, uh, I didn't want to travel, so I stayed here locally and, and trained with Spear and John Secor and his staff did a did a great job. Uh, I loved working out there this off season. And first of all, it was just a safe environment to work out in. It was just usually me and him, and maybe one other in, in the gym at a time, just keeping it safe with all the protocols and stuff. But just getting a lot stronger, getting my body back to where I feel like it needed to be. Um, in training with him and his staff, I, I definitely feel like I had a great offseason in the weight room. So a big thanks to them and, and everything they've done for me this offseason. And then uh, working with Jeff has been awesome, too, just how he coaches the quarterback position and uh, how much he knows about getting back to simple mechanics of the game. And I really haven't ever adjusted my mechanics, but working with him, I feel like my footwork and, and mechanics have gotten a lot better. So I think it all worked out for the best, and it was kind of meant to be – that I stayed here local and just just got some great work in that way. So I'm very lucky to work with both those guys. I'm not going to dive in specifically. I mean, hopefully it shows up on tape this year, just me having better balance in the pocket. I uh, did a couple of things with the footwork and just how I'm holding the ball and uh, where my release is coming from and stuff like that. So it's really the first time I ever adjusted my mechanics. And um, I just really loved working with Jeff and, and, and how he, he approaches coaching the quarterback position and, um, how he studied the great players that have played this position and how he translates that to to coaching. So I just um, it, it's been it's been really fun. Uh, I feel like my motion is better. I feel like I'm more in balance and the ball's coming out more accurately. So uh, I'm confident with where I'm at right now and how all, all that work has helped me this off season. So I'm excited about it. I think one of the questions that I got. Afterward, guys, uh, maybe you got the same. Is is why is he just doing this now? Like, what's taken so long? Hasn't he worked on his mechanics before? And I, I guess the the best way to to look at this is look, he has worked on mechanics before, but just quarterback coaches, these private guys, uh, they bring in their own systems. They they bring in their own methods and and their own drills. And so so this is different. Like the the specific footwork drills that he's doing with Jeff Christensen are surely different than the ones he's done in the past, even with the Bears, even at North Carolina. So this is all kind of new to him, and it's not that he's not working on his skills in the offseason. We know he's a pretty you know, adamant about being a hard worker. It's just different for him because the coaching he's getting is different from Christensen. 
Yeah, I, I didn't jump. I, I understood why people were kind of upset, but like the idea that Mitch Trubisky has spent his off seasons doing nothing with his mechanics is just ridiculous. Obviously, he's worked on them. He's worked on them with Dave Ragone. He's had other quarterback coaches in the past that he's worked with out in California. Um, I, I think, it, as Adam said, I think it's just something new. It's something different. It's a different coach. It's a different set of eyes. Um, and, and when you come off a year like he had last year and you head into a season where it's pretty much do or die in terms of in football terms of you have to succeed if you want to stay with this team and earn a contract or you're going to be a free agent, you know, you should look at other avenues. You should take a closer, more critical look at what you're doing and, and, and do different things. So, you know, I think it's understandable. I think, you know, Mitch would probably take back the way he worded that, the idea that he was, you know, it was the first time he's doing it. I think what he probably meant to say was this is the first time he's looked at these specific mechanics in that specific way. Um, he's obviously always worked as mechanics, but if, if you're coming off the year he came off, you have to do something different. Well, and I, I, I get the feeling that maybe it's instead of just like, oh, I'm working on my footwork to not do the, the bad habits that sometimes uh, he would get into, it sounds to me like he may actually look different doing it. Like when we see, whenever yeah. we, it is, we see him, like whatever he's doing, it may actually look visual, visually noticeable to us. Um, and there's a difference there. So... No, again, I don't. I don't want to overblow it. Like all of a sudden, this is going to fix Mitch Trubisky, but it's. I don't think he should be criticized for it. I mean, if anything, people should be encouraged that these are the things that he worked on during this time. Who knows if it's going to pay off? What we'll the wait and and see on that. But it's better than to me. That's better than him coming back and just being like, yeah, you know, I'm. I've worked on the. We've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. I, I think especially in the context, Adam of. There's no OTAs. This pandemic has changed everything. That he's found an, an avenue to to go through the checklist of, of things that John DeFilippo wants him to, to fix, and footwork being one of them, mechanics being another one. Like, And he's found the coach that he's apparently connected with and seems to be working well with. I think that's meaningful. Like, it, It's better than just working on your, you know, but by yourself. Like, I look at his off-season work. This includes the, the spear training where he, he, he rehabbed his surgically repaired shoulder and then he um, dealt with an imbalance on, on the right side. I, I, I look at it as obviously things didn't work for Mr. Trubisky in 2019. And this young quarterback went out in search of answers and he had to do it locally. And he found Spear. He found Jeff Christensen. And he's trying to to make this competition competitive, so where he's not blown out of the water, out of the water by a, a Nick Foles. So, yeah, I, I guess some people are done with Mitch Trubisky just just in general. But in terms of this competition, it's all meaningful work, especially in the context of the COVID nineteen pandemic and no OTAs. John's, let me ask you this because you have some I don't know inside knowledge on the kinds of things that Jeff Christensen does. Do you feel like that this is going to pay off for Mitch? Yeah, you know what? I, I I have actually like years ago. I went out to one of his his, his practices, and who was there? Uh, a couple of Bears quarterbacks were actually there. Like remember Matt Blanchard? He was there. Um, Zach Dysert. Does that sound familiar? Like uh, he he had like a yeah. yes yes he was on he the was, team he, for like a week. Yes yes yeah he he was out there, um, and, and they were going th through drills. Uh, I would just say there is. 
the emphasis on footwork is significant just just in terms of finding balance and how that affects your, your throwing motion, how it affects your accuracy. And there is a lot of drills that they go through specifically to fine-tune footwork. And I could say one thing. Since since covering the NFL since 2012, I have not seen drills like this at any NFL practice. Going back to, to Lovey Smith, going back to Mark Tressman, going back to Dow Loggins, Adam Gase, now to, to Dave Ragone, who's been here for a bit. We'll see what, what Flip has in store. But the drills that Christensen had, again, this is a while back. This is when I was with the Sun-Times. This is like five years ago. I, had not, I have not seen those in an NFL capacity, at least when, when it comes to, to the Bears and the fundamental workouts they would do at camp or OTAs and whatnot. Just hearing you say that, Johns, I'm encouraged because that's to me that's the number one thing like he had to work on. So whether it works or not, I don't know. But I'm encouraged that he spent the time off working on it. And, you know, when it comes to uh, – oh, go ahead, Kevin. Well, I'll just say one thing, too, to remind people because I saw this a lot in the comments to Johns' story about it. Just because Mitch Trubisky worked on his mechanics does not mean he did not do extra work on learning how to understand defenses better. Yeah. <laughs> this is not like a, you know, this is not like a totality thing. He he's working on everything. Will it pan out? We have no idea. Um, but like, you got to credit the guy for at least doing his due diligence and con- trying to control what he could control. Uh, you know, to you know, put his best foot forward in this competition. I think if you look back at his 2019 season, even 2018, there's a lot of examples, guys. You know this where. The protection is okay. He makes the right read. It's a great play call from Nagy. And then he just sails the pass or the, the pass goes wide. You know, like the the process of him like getting through on the throw, it just doesn't look natural, right? It, like the, the ball is pushed up in the air. And, and like, I, I don't mean to overanalyze his throwing motions, but like you hear everybody go, oh, he threw that off his back foot. Like there's a lot of examples of Trubis- of Trubisky missing throws that way. Was it the Saints or Chargers game, that first drive, where he just totally missed Taylor Gabriel wide open on third down? I think it was Saints. It was a, Gabriel's on the left side. It was like an yeah. out route. Yeah. And then the Chargers was when he missed him deep for what it would have right. been. Right. Later, later in yeah. the game. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, it's it gets back to that, to me, a big question that we asked Ryan Pace last week. It's like you can simulate all, all this stuff in practice all you want, but. It, that that specific play I just brought up after the game, Trubisky talking about how they drilled it in practice all week. He loved it. He made the throw every single time in practice that week. And then they get to the game and he completely misses it. And that's where it's just, it's different. It's a different speed at in the game than it is in practice. And I think that's the hardest thing that they have in front of them this month in not having the preseason games to really execute this quarterback competition because no matter how much pressure you simulate in practice, inside that quarterback's head, he still knows he can't be hit. And as soon as he gets to the game, inside that quarterback's head, he knows he can be hit. And that can change everything. So at least from a mechanic standpoint, if there's if there's something that can be done to drill it into Trubisky to keep those mechanics, even when there is pressure, that will go a long way. Again, have no idea if it's going to pay off, but I at least like hearing that it's been worked on. Two more thoughts on this, guys. Um, like the Bears coaches do coach up fundamentals. Like we should, we should make this clear, but we we all know there's not not enough time in the day now for 
installations and, and you know walkthroughs, all the stuff that they have to do in practices now. Everything is well very condensed this year, but has been more condensed over the years. Like there's no doubles anymore and whatnot. Just the the rule changes and the the time allotted for these coaches to work with their players, specifically quarterbacks, has changed over the years. It's decreased. So, like, I remember Mark Tressman drilling home the fundamentals, but Jay Cutler still had bad fundamentals, right? Like, it's just there's only so much time in the day uh, that you can allot for fundamental work. Um, That's why you need the player to go off on his own and, and do that. And the second thought is, Adam, I think you hinted at this with, with, with Sando. Like, that injury, a lot of people are glossing over that. But Mitch Trubisky, for the, maybe for the first time, actually was a little detailed on his process. And we know Spirit Training put up that post on Instagram. Like, his body was a bit off last season after he hurt his left shoulder. Well, and that's why I asked that question. It was because it's one thing for fans and media to, to not really take that into account. But I wanted to know, like, if the evaluators he was talking to that were basically ranking him wherever they were ranking him, even had that injury in their minds at all. Yeah, I, I do think, too, that especially defensive coaches, they would have planned around it, too, right? You know, they would have known that he couldn't run. He was going to be limited running. You know, mix up your coverages and, and make him be, you know, what Sherman what Williams said after that opener, right? Make him be a quarterback. And, you know, I wrote this in June after Trubisky talked to us the first time this offseason. Folks have to remember, he's going to start a game at least for this team this season. I mean, I don't think any of us expect one of these guys to start all 16 games. It would be the first time for either of them in their careers if they did that. So all of these things that Mitch Trubisky can do, if it's as simple as he's got to step in for Nick Foles for two games or if he starts the season, you know, it's all important in terms of putting the Bears in the best position to win. Weird reaction, I thought, to the Ryan Pace interview from some people on Twitter was uh, when Ryan was talking about what good shape Trubisky looked like when he came in the building. I understand why fans don't really necessarily want to hear that. But the criticism of it being brought up, I thought, was interesting because, I mean, what else are they doing right now? Like, he's just evaluating what they've seen. There's no real practices or anything like that. So all they can um, go off of. But I don't think that that was... You know, just lip service because I had actually heard literally barbershop talk uh, from people who know um, some of the guys that run that spear training facility that even they were like when Trubisky first came into that, they were really impressed with how he looked. So the point is, again, this does not mean he's going to become a good quarterback all of a sudden. I think what we're just learning and reporting to you guys as we discuss this is number 10 put in the work this offseason. And you would hope so. I mean, you would hope so because he's his job's on the line. He didn't get the fifth-year option. Uh, it's do or die for him right now in the Chicago Bears organization. So all we're doing is reporting to you that it's it certainly seems like he's put in the work in any possible way that he can, whether it's strength training, whether it's conditioning, whether it's getting that shoulder right, whether it's his footwork or other mechanics. The work has been done even though there was no official Bears offseason program. We're covering a quarterback competition. What that one quarterback does, one that's drafted second overall, does in the offseason with you know, a, a pandemic changing everything, I would find it very important. I, I think the Bears find it very important. And obviously Trubisky finds it important enough to, to, to do it, to, to improve his standing 
against Nick Foles, who we're going to hear from here in a little bit. Yeah, the other guy in the competition, Nick Foles. Uh, finally got a chance to talk to him. He's in the building. He is uh, finally able to meet his teammates in person. And this is something we've discussed all along, right? The uh, perceived disadvantage, which actually Matt Nagy admitted last week, talking to the media, that there there is a little bit of a disadvantage for Nick Foles. Um, and Pace talked about it too with us. They're not concerned about it, though. Because we talked about this when Nick Foles was traded to the Bears. You cannot find a single person in the NFL that does not like this guy. He is a very likable uh, person and teammate. So in terms of winning over his teammates, I don't think it's going to be an issue. But there is some catch-up, obviously. Uh, here is Nick Foles on that conversation about how he hasn't been in Chicago in the summer. And, um, you know, sort of playing catch-up in this quarterback competition. You know what, that, the situation obviously for everyone has been crazy in 2020. Being far away from Chicago and never living in Chicago, I had only been in Chicago a few times. Um, obviously, you'd want to be around your teammates and throw with your teammates, but, you know, the situation was that just wasn't the case. Uh, I thought, you know, we optimized our Zoom meetings um, to the best of our abilities. And then throwing-wise, um, I was very fortunate to find, you know, some young guys who – wanted to work um you know i live in california in the off season and uh got a lot of good work in obviously it's not with your teammates but still good work uh i wouldn't say disadvantage is the right word i just say you know what that's just the situation um the situation is what it is um my focus is you know acclimating to being in chicago um getting to meet a lot of people at this facility trying my best to memorize names which is impossible with so many people but i'm working on it I'm um, looking forward to getting to know my teammates. I'm enjoying the QB room. Um, the big thing, I know the quarterback competition, all that, you'll ask me about it. But the big thing is we help each other improve in the QB room, um, not only as players, but as people. And that'll help our team. So I'm focusing on all these little things. And, you know, the situation is what it is. I'm just doing everything I can um, each day in the moment to do what I to do the best I can to, you know, enjoy this and be the best player I can be. Kevin? Hey, Nick. How are you doing? Doing good. Um, so, I guess, how, how do you go about winning a quarterback competition or just doing your best over the next few weeks when you don't have a preseason, you didn't have OTAs minicamp? How does that kind of alter at all the way you look at training camp practices so that you can achieve what is, I imagine, your ultimate goal? I think the big thing is just don't focus on winning. I'd say the big thing is focus on getting to be – myself out on there on, on the field and when a play is called playing um, to the best of my ability. Um, the, the beautiful thing is there's a lot of similarities in this offense from my Philly offense. So I feel right back at home, whether it's the run game, the pass game, there are similarities to where, you know, it's been a year since I was sort of in that offense, but it, it's nice to like have the verbiage and, and have this feel and understand why we're doing it. This is how we do it. This is the history because the history of the Philly offense came from KC um, we evolved it in Philly, but Coach Nagy brought the KC offense here and it's become the Bears offense. So um, for me, it's not, you know, a lot of people talk about the quarterback competition. Um, it's just like I always say, you don't go, everyone goes in a game wanting to win a game. Saying you want to win a game doesn't do anything. Um, you have to do the little things each and every day, um, you know, whether it's your workout, whether it's your pre practice routine, whether it's just, when Nagy calls a play in practice, just executing that play. If it's checking it down to the running back, check it down to the running back. Don't 
the biggest problem is we try to, we watch the other guy and he makes a big throw and you think to yourself, oh man, now I got to throw a big throw. And then you don't even read the play out. Um, so, and that's just from, this is going on year nine. And it's been a crazy career and it just keeps getting crazier. Um, I'm just going out there and if I'm working the second team, third team, first team, like, let's just play ball, man. I love this offense. I love the verbiage. I've been in this offense. I know what I can do in this offense. Um, but all that stuff gives me is wisdom, um, wisdom to go out there and help my teammates to help Mitch, to help Tyler. Um, I'm not keeping secrets from Mitch. Like I want to help Mitch. So if there's a play that I've ran a lot and I know a lot, I'm going to give him that information just like, you know, I know he will with me because we're working to help each other. And, you know, when he makes a great throw, I'm going to be right there to, you know, slap him a five and then they'll probably have to like sanitize our hands, but I'm going to do it. Um, that, that, that's part of this thing is you, it is a competition, but we're all on the same team. So we're going to push each other every day, but there's got to be a, a healthy way to do it. That's on. Uh, hey, Nick. Yeah. A adding on to that, how tough is it though to kind of, you know, show what you can do and to get acclimated into this offense? You know, you know it a little bit, but with such limited time on the field this year. You know what? It, it's the situation. You know, you can't say it's tough. It's just, it is a situation. I think that, my mindset is I have to embrace it. And I just simplify in my head. Um, you know, I have my first full two days. Last, the last two days were like my first really full days. Um, we're with the rookies really working. But I really just enjoyed every moment, um, whether it was, you know, working out, whether it was the installations, whether it was going through the walkthroughs. What, you know, I go home, I'm tired because you give everything you have. But I think the big thing is I'm just focusing on every little thing. And I'm not worried about, oh, am I at a disadvantage or am I at this? Like, I don't really care. Like I've said before, if I'm the first, second, third, like I'm going to go be myself and I'm going to play in a place called I'm ready to roll. Um, the big thing is just hearing the verbiage and just seeing the similarities from my Philly offense when I was there um, has been really, um, I feel right at home, um, which is huge. Uh, just to read the plays, like, oh, man, I remember in Philly when, okay, yeah, okay. This is what we do. And then it, it involves in the football talking, hey, we did this, this, and this off this play. Have you seen that? Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, this is what it looks like. So all these little things are happening that's really fun. It makes the game a lot of fun. Um, but you'll hear me say over and over again, it's just going out there playing ball, and whatever happens, happens. And, you know, we're all part of the Chicago Bears, and the biggest thing is we have to, you know, make this team better. First observation, Nick Foles cares a lot more about Patrick Finley they can have a fish bait. Ouch. At that Tucson connection, I guess. You know, look, reporter mistake. I shouldn't have followed up with the how you doing. Pat Finley opened with it. Question before me. But, hey, you know, you, you live and you learn and you move on. Nick Foles is all business. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 don't, I think there was actually more questions about how he was after that. that, that I came. think there was. Well, that's the yeah. thing with these Zooms is, is, you know, it's your turn to ask a question and you're looking at your computer and it's just you and the person. It's just you, you naturally are going to say, hey, how you doing? Yeah. You know? And sometimes you, you could get just a good say, hi. Hello. Hi, Nick. Here's hi, my Nick. question. You, you do <laughs> yes. that sometimes too. You can. It'd be eating, we all want to try to establish some virtual rapport with these guys. I think it's been established that Nick Foles is doing good. He's good. Anyway. Although he went from great to good since talking from Pat to you. Just well maybe that was maybe that was Pat's question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was true. great before true. Pat asked the question. True, true. Did you Nick, guys just want to follow up? Has anything changed in the last five minutes? 
Are you still doing great? <laughs> Can we get an update? I think one of us should do that this year. It, like, let's like maybe if they go on like a win streak, everyone's feeling good. I think that'd be a good time to to do that. Um, did you guys notice this? And I wrote this in my story. I wrote about Foles's uh, press conference and some of the things he talked about. The guy sounds like a long-term starting quarterback. You know, like there's no question about who sounds more experienced and who is sounds unfazed. And I and I say that with the caveat of that doesn't mean he's going to be the answer. doesn't mean he's going to win the job. And I'm not trying to take away from the way Trubisky is. We've kind of gotten used to the way Mr. Trubisky handles some of these press conferences and they're tough for him. It, it, you know, they're tough in terms of whenever every question is like, well, how did you get better? Cause you weren't good last year. Nick Foles has been through every possible thing in his career. He's been benched. He's been injured. He's won a super bowl. He's come back the next year after losing his job when Carson Wentz came back and then wins a playoff game. He breaks his collarbone, throwing a touchdown in his first game, finally being a high-priced starting quarterback, and now he's traded to the Bears. He has been through it all. So I just that, – that conversation I just couldn't, uh, you know, talk enough about or thinking about that guy is unfazed. This, is, this guy is not someone who's going to be rattled by this situation. You know who he kind of reminded me of was, was Josh McCown, just – in terms of like depth and perspective and you know willingness to engage with the media with a friendly face other than you but like he he just seemed <laughs> like there was a genuineness to him and I don't mean to be repeating uh words that Pace or Nagy have used but he does come off that way like he seems to to care like even his his comment later about like like helping out Trubisky and and, and you know like it's it's the Bears are, are. It sounds like the Bears are getting exactly what they're saying they're getting from Nick Foles. If that makes sense to you guys, that's a great comp though for this situation. Um, just bringing up Nick Foles as, as Josh McCown, who actually Nick Foles is already more accomplished overall as Josh McCown, uh, considered in the the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVP. But you know, I still think there's a lot. There's a that's a good comp because he's not the most talented quarterback. He's not. Uh, he's probably not going to blow you away even when he's winning games. But he's smart. He knows coverages. He's as you know experienced as they come at this point. Has the right perspective, as you said, and that's just going to give him certain advantages elsewhere that Mitch doesn't have because Mitch hasn't been fired. Mitch hasn't been. Um, you know, on the brink of leaving football. Uh, and he also hasn't experienced the successes that Nick Foles has to come all the way back from that. So um, it, it's just a really fascinating comparison between these two quarterbacks and how – because it neither one necessarily determines what's going to play out on the field over these next few weeks. Like, that just comes down to what they do from an execution yeah. standpoint. Yeah. But they are entering this moment – from two completely different perspectives. Yeah, I think there's a like a charisma that comes with Nick Foles that's a, that's a bit different than the the Trubisky level charisma. I, I think like some players will be drawn to the experiences and the stories that that a Nick Foles will, will share. And you know, it's when you start talking about the, like the on the field play, Adam. I keep thinking about our conversation with with Olin Krutz. God, it, it was feels like yesterday, but it was a long time ago. Um, where, where he's talking about like like the players know like they'll know mm-hmm. who the better quarterback is, 
and sometimes it won't be as tight as it may seem on the outside. Like the, the players will know, um, especially with what the the responsibilities are, you know, across the board in certain play calls and, and concepts and whatnot. But I'm interested to see how this plays out. We can't get the house for a while. Nick Foles seems ready for it, right, guys? Uh, that, by the way, Johnsy, that played out in 2017 with when it was Trubisky, Glennon. You know, like in terms of players knowing yeah, oh, uh, yeah. who the better quarterback yeah. is, and we all had instances with guys. Um, let me throw out three quick stats that I admittedly cherry picked on Nick Foles. Um, this, so I, what I, I did was 2016 to 2018 because those were his most recent seasons in an Andy Reid type offense. He started eight regular season games, so obviously a small sample size. I'm admitting that, but eight games is still enough for a per game stat, right? In those eight games, you know, in those three seasons, I guess, he had led the league in terms of sacks taken, fewest sacks taken per game. He was fourth in completion percentage and fourth in interceptions thrown per game. And I think, and, and I, what I did was I put in those three years, I wanted, I looked at all the stats. And obviously the guy's not going to be high up there for yards per attempt. He's not going to be high up there for touchdowns per game, yards per game, things like that. But when you look at the way this Bears team is built, it's hard to think of three statistics that are more important to this team winning than how well he does at avoiding these giant negative plays and just operating the offense. So again, I know it's a small sample size, but it's just an example of why this coaching staff was drawn to him as opposed to some of the other quarterbacks available. You know, because this is going to be about don't put us in a situation like we were in too often last year where we had to come back and we did not have the firepower to do so. And that's, again, why I still think they want Trubisky to win this job because they already had that guy on the roster who was sort of risky. Like, you know, you bring in Cam Newton, for instance. It's like, yeah, he may do some great things for you. He may also turn the ball over a lot. And he also may not be able to do the things he wants to be able to. You know, that would have been a risky acquisition that on the surface, oh, Cam Newton or Nick Foles, which one's better? Yeah, over the course of their careers. That's an obvious answer. That doesn't mean it's the right situation for this team. And they already had the guy on this roster that they're going to give one more shot, that they're going to allow them to prove them wrong, and maybe he will make some ridiculous great plays, but needs to cut down on the errors and the misfires and the accuracy issues and the turnovers and all that. And if... He can't do that. They're going to go to Nick Foles because for everything you just explained right there, Kevin, Nick Foles can cut down on those mistakes and simply facilitate the football. He's probably not going to wow you with the ridiculous plays, but he's going to do enough to potentially keep the Bears in position to win football games with the rest of the team that they have. Um, And so it's just a matter of when, really. Is that going to happen by week one? Is it going to be midseason? Or... In what the thing we've all agreed is the best case scenario for the Bears that Trubisky all of a sudden figures this out and he rides it all season. We don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but those are kind of the scenarios that can play out here, uh, whether it's three weeks from now or three months from now. Well, again, part of the Trubisky conversation is not if he can do it in practice, is whether or not he can do it in games. So how do you know if he can do it if you don't put him in, in real games? But at the same time, I think Nick Foles is perfectly fine Waiting a little bit. Like, yes, he has a, the, the, the goal of being a 16-game starter, but 
you know what? He's been here before. He can wait a bit. He can get his turn. Uh, if Mitch is playing well in practice, he seems – again, go back listen to him. He seems content with that being a possible reality for him, especially at this point in his career. He like, he's willingly accepts that as, as being okay for him. Absolutely. All right, guys, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? How you doing, Kev? You all right? Well, yeah, only, what, two more weeks till football? We can watch some football? Mm. Like Guided I started, practices, this, like I started the podcast with, we should be already be like five practices in, a couple padded practices, looking at jumping on the highway to head back home after the first, you know, five days. Oh, wait, we weren't going to do that anyway in Bourbon A this year. Yep, it's going to be a couple weeks. That's okay. We can live with it. There is some availability later on this week, so we will have another episode for you, obviously. Uh, Matt Nagy talks. Uh, we'll hear from assistant coaches uh, and some defensive players too. So not really sh- sure at this exact moment where the podcast comes in and all that, but we will have some more coverage for you uh, by the end of the week uh, with everything going on at House Hall. Hopefully, most importantly, um, whatever's going on there that – these players are being responsible. At some point, I think we should have that discussion too. What we've learned from baseball, is it really possible to pull this off? Because I definitely have my doubts. A lot of trust being put in the players to kind of self-police themselves. Uh, and I think that's somewhat a hard thing to do. So I just, hopefully the house hall stays uh, COVID free here because it's going to be hard to operate if that's not the case. If we start to have these breakouts like we've seen in baseball, it's well, then you can't run a quarterback competition with that going on. Think about it that way. It's 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 going to be tough. But guys, good stuff. Appreciate it. Follow it's them fun. on Twitter at Adam Johns J A H N S. Kevin Fishbane at K Fishbane. Read them at the Athletic, theAthletic.com. Remember, theAthletic.com/slash Hogan Johns. Forty percent off right now. You should be subscribed. My stuff is up at NBCSportsChicago.com. A 10 Bears Things column for you there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E. Please rate and review the podcast. We appreciate you doing that. We'll talk to you later this week. See ya. Hey, Nick. How are you doing? Doing good.